0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. All right, well, it's good to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 9. As we continue through the Gospel of Mark, we're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week. And this morning, we're going to talk about biblical faith. And so I'm going to have to plow some ground again before we ever get into the Scripture because this section of Scripture is often taken out of context. And so what I want us to do is make sure we're entering with the right mindset as we do that. So I'm going to begin by asking us this question of what does it mean to have faith? Right? So most of us would understand faith is the idea of putting your, your trust, belief, or confidence in someone or something outside of yourself. So this is kind of the idea. You might have heard people say, well, you just need to have faith. Right? Or you just need to take that leap of faith. Now, a few weeks ago, we had uh, the opportunity to host our, our kids here for uh, day camp Uh, and it was great. So the kids were kind of running around, and we're trying our best to get back to some sort of normalcy here at church, and so uh, we're hosting these things. They're outside the whole time, in case you're watching online and judging me, right? Like, they were outside the whole time, and on the last day, they had the biggest water slide I have ever seen in our parking lot. It was so big that I brought my shorts that day so I could go down the water slide. So uh, we, we go out there, this water slide, it's, it's gigantic. It's as big as the gym, right? And so the kids are all going down it, and I decide I'm going to go down this. And so I go down it, and then there's this little girl. She's kind of off to the side. She looks scared. And I was like, sweetie, do you want to go on the slide? No, 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 no. Well, what if I go with you? Well, you go first, and then I'll go. Okay, sounds fair. So I go up, and I go down the slide, and I'm like, look, I'm safe. You want to go with me? No, no you go another time, then I'll go. Okay, I'll go another time. So I did another time. I came down and I was like, all right, girl, get in line. And so she gets in line and she is just shaking and nervous. And she goes up that ladder. She gets to the top and I decide, all right, it's time for me to go up the ladder. I go up the ladder. I get up there, just white face. No, no, I can't do it. No, I can't do it. Well, you have to. We're up here, right? Like, there's there's no going back. We got to go. No, no, I can't. No, no, you can't make me. No, you can't. not. About that time, all these boys are coming up the ladder. Well, you got some little, little boys coming up the ladder. The the blow-up slide's are beginning to kind of, you know, wane a little bit, and I was like, look, we got to go, okay? I'm trying to be pastory, and I'm trying to be nice. I'm trying to, like, shepherd her, right? Like, oh, God loves you, you know? And I was like, and I'll love you more if you go down. And so, I I get to this point and I was like, you got to just, you know, just cross your arms. And I just pushed her. (laughs) I was just like, all right, well, that did it. You know, and then I went down the slide. I get down. She is so mad. And I was like, are you going to tell your parents that the pastor pushed you down the slide? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when we think about faith, it's, it's hard for us to muster up the faith to do something. And so we'll put our faith in something like a chair or a pew and we'll say, "Oh, this will hold me up," or a slide, a water slide. You know, we'll, we'll try to we'll try to do that. But there's a difference between that that kind of belief and then biblical faith that we're going to talk about this morning. So, when we get to this idea of biblical faith, we we look at Hebrews, right? So, we have Hebrews 11, 1, Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. So, what we can take from this biblical understanding of what faith is is that Faith is only as powerful as its object. It's only as powerful as its object. So how can you really have assurance in anything that is subject to the fall of man? I mean, if you think about it, when the fall of man, when sin entered the world, everything became corrupted. Everything begins to corrode. Everything begins to wane. Everything begins to age. Everything begins to die, right? So how can you really have assurance in anything that's subject to the fall of man that could could fail? So when we talk about biblical faith, we're doing it. We're putting our faith outwardly, not inwardly. Biblical faith is outward, not inward. And so sometimes you'll hear people, as we get into the Scripture, and the Scripture often gets taken out of context. They're like, well, you just need to have more faith. You just need to to put forth. And what happens is you begin to put faith in yourself. But biblical faith is fixed upon God. Father, Son, and Spirit, not in self. And so sometimes... We'll take Scripture out of context and we'll say, oh, you just need to have more faith. And when we say that, we're saying, I need to put more faith in myself. I need to be a better person. I need to try harder. But faith is not in ourself. It's in God, biblical faith. That's why Hebrews eleven six 6, this, this chapter on faith says, and without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So this faith is a must, because without faith, it's impossible to please him. And why is it impossible to please him? Because without faith, you're not in Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, for by by grace you have been saved, what? Through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. So when you get to this idea of faith, it's not about how good you are. It's not about how much faith you have in yourself. It's actually, it's a gift from God. Biblical faith is a gift of God, and without it, it's impossible to please Him. Because without it, you can't be in Christ. So, by grace through faith. As Paul continues in Ephesians chapter 2, he says this in verse 12, Remember that you were once, at one time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So, there's this idea that without faith, you are separated from God. Without faith, you're alienated from the commonwealth. Without faith, you're strangers to the covenant of promise. Without faith, you're outside of Christ. And you need faith in order to have salvation. So, Jesus is the fulfillment of the covenants of promise, the covenants of grace. Our faith is fixated on Christ's life, death, resurrection, and reversal of the curse of sin. Because Jesus is the second Adam. So I'm I'm laying some groundwork here because we're about to get into a section of Scripture where it talks about belief and faith, and we need to understand that our faith is fixated on Christ and His redemptive work. So when we read this, we have to read it through the lens of what Christ has done on our behalf. Now, I was listening to a podcast this week, and it was a bunch of pastors, and they're talking, and I know it sounds boring to you, but I thought it was awesome. And these guys were talking, and they were talking about how we often interpret Scripture wrongly, or we often don't interpret it reading it through the lens of Jesus Christ and the covenant of promise. So he said, maybe you take the idea of the, the garden, right? You have Adam in the garden. He's he's placed in the most perfect area that has ever existed there's no sin in the world he's got everything he wants God's given him everything he needs and God is even walking in the garden where he is and what does Adam do he still sins and then you jump forward to the New Testament you've got Jesus he shows up and Jesus led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit he doesn't eat for 40 days he's in the wilderness he's hungry he's thirsty he's out there by himself and he's in the worst of environments and what does he do He is without sin. You know, most of us, we would take that section of Scripture, we've heard it before, and we're like, oh, well, the point of this story is I need to memorize Scripture so I can fight temptation. I need to memorize Scripture so I can have more faith. The point of the story is that you can't do it, even in the most perfect environment. That's why Jesus Christ had to come and die. It's through Christ that we have resurrection life. It is through Christ that we have this biblical faith that he's given us so that we can one day see him in glory. This is biblical faith as we fixate our eyes on him. So what does it mean then to be faithless? So this word faithless pops up in this section of scripture. It's apistos in the Greek, and it means without trust in God. So what this means is if you live without trust in God, it simply means that you live as if you don't believe his atoning work for you is enough. You, you actually believe that there's something you must do to be right with God. And so you would say, oh, I have faith. And a lot of people say that. Oh, I have faith in God. I'm just trying to be a good person. Well, that's kind of an oxymoron. right? Like That doesn't go together. Like You, you believe that there's something else that you must do to be saved. No, he's given you biblical faith. You, or you just don't believe that you need to trust Jesus for salvation. And that's kind of the world that we're in. But not only that, but do we often make faith something that's not intended to be? Last week, we, uh, this is what he says here in this, in this verse 19. And he answered them, "O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Who's Jesus talking to here? This is so interesting because Jesus is coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration. He's with Peter, James, and John, and he's catching up with his other disciples. There's a crowd that's gathered. There's scribes there, and they're all arguing, and this is who he's talking to. And the scribes, oh, they believe in God. The crowds, they believe Jesus and his ability to heal because that's why they're, they're gathered. The disciples believe in Jesus, and they believe he's the Christ because they've already said that earlier in the, in the book. But they're all called faithless. Why is that? Well, let's read this real quick. And when he came down, the disciples, to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them. The scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. This is who this is addressing. Now, when we read Mark and we read this story in Mark's gospel, we need to do so by contextually understanding the scripture, not topically understanding the scripture. What happens is we, we take sections of the scripture and we begin to look at it topically. Oh, what am I trying to learn here? And if we take scripture from a topical approach rather than a contextual approach, we are taking one idea and formulating our opinion on that subject based on our cultural, personal, and ideological interpretation of scripture. I know that's deep, but this is what we do. We take what we believe, what we are, you know, inclined to believe about a certain subject, and then we read that section and we go, okay, that's what I should believe about that. Rather than reading it through the contextual process of this is about the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on our behalf that we need faith. We need it and we need it given to us through Him. This is when we often put ourselves in the scriptures. You see, when we read scripture, we read it with the understanding that the redemptive work of Christ is central and then personal biblical application is gleaned from it. So, what is God trying to teach us through this. As we left off last week, and a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, this is my beloved son. This is what God says. Listen to him. Those are important words. Because if you want to know the will of God and his beloved son, then you have to listen to him and read his word. And if you want to follow the will of God and live by faith in his beloved son, then you apply what his word says. Faith. Biblical faith listen to them. So what I want us to do is not read this through a hyper-faith viewpoint. And what I say by hyper-faith is that there's this idea that uh, it's spoken word faith that's going around. That if you just have enough faith and you will speak it, it will happen. And this is, this is distorted and this is not biblical and it takes scripture out of context. And so a lot of times when we read scriptures like we're about to read, it's taken out of context, and people read it as, well, I just need to have more faith. And what that leads to is a distorted view of health, wealth, and prosperity. A name it and claim it. Or your best life now. This would be people kind of like, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it just so you know, Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers, Kenneth Copeland. People like this that teach something that sounds really good and really attractive. Bethel Church. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you just some housekeeping as as your pastor. Chip and I have talked, and we've removed Bethel music from our Sunday morning worship. And the reason we've done that is because there's some discrepancies in what they say their theology is and what ours is. There's some differences there. And we're not trying to be contemporary. We're not trying to be traditional. We're not trying to be blended. We're trying to be Christ-exalting. That's our whole purpose in coming in here is to be fixated on Christ, to have biblical faith. And I hope that you can worship in that way. That we can, we can grow as a church fixating our eyes on Jesus Christ. So one final clarification before we read the scripture. Reading scripture through a Christ-centered theology puts the emphasis on Christ's redemptive work. However, reading scripture through a hyper-faith theology puts the emphasis on your faith and your abilities. And that's just not right. So can I pray for us before we jump into scripture? Father, I thank you so much for your word. It is rich, and it is alive, and it is sharper than a double-edged sword, and it cuts through all the way to our soul. It convicts us of sin. It leads us into a right relationship with you, and it reveals to us the work of your son Jesus Christ on our behalf because without him, we are hopeless, we are faithless, and we have no future. So, Father, I pray for us this morning as a church that we would fix our eyes on you, that we would be fixated on you. That you would give us the biblical faith needed to live out the life that you've called us to live. And that we would be your witnesses in all the world. In Christ's name, amen. What we need to do is we need to maintain a biblical faith because it's being warred against. Maintain a biblical faith in a sinful and demonic world. So if you're there with me, let's read Mark chapter 9, 14 through 22. And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them the scribes arguing with them, and immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. So the scribes are there arguing with the disciples, probably because of what we're about to find out. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone, and someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and he grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, oh, there's that word, faithless generation. How long am I to be with you and how long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy. And he fell on the ground and he rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. So this is the context. And what we see here, first of all, is that if we're going to maintain a biblical faith. We need to recognize that there are spiritual realities at war with us. It's not just all a physical thing. There are actually demonic oppression and warfare that's happening. Number one, we see that demons are real beings and demonic activity is real. The thing with us is we like to kind of write things off. Oh, you know, they're just sick or this is what they need. They need some more medication or they, you know, and I'm not saying any, I'm not downplaying any of that. But we typically just ignore the spiritual and, and focus on the physical. And, and we do those things and, and we don't realize that there's spiritual realities at war with us because demons desire to inflict pain and death. Now, when Jesus shows up, he's the light of the world, and he's entering into a, a very dark world, and the demons are putting on a show. I mean, they're everywhere, and you, you see him casting out demons. These things are happening, and you're like, well, well, where are they today? Well, it might just be the fact that we're like, oh, that person's just crazy, right? <laughs> you know, that person, is just a crazy person. Well, what if demonic warfare is real today? What if there really is an enemy that's coming to attack? This is what Peter would say in 5.8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now a lion, if you ever watch uh, National Geographic or anything like that, the lion usually picks off the ones that are trailing behind. Either a, a baby or, or an infant uh, animal or, or a sickly animal. And so it picks them off because they're, they're, they're easy prey. Now, be sober-minded, Be watchful because there is an adversary that's looking for you to be in a weak area of your life spiritually. If you're allowing yourself to engage in things that are leading you away from listening to the Lord, following Jesus Christ, then then realize you're probably setting yourself up to be attacked. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus says, look, I want you to understand there's a real adversary out there and his only... uh, Purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy you, to take from you. But I've come that you would have life, to live your life through me. Third thing we see is demons are capable of inflicting physical suffering. This boy had symptoms resembling epilepsy. Matthew's gospel tells the story in 17 and verse 15. He says, The man says, Lord, have mercy on my son. I love how the father comes and he, he, he calls him Lord, for he has seizures. And he suffers terribly, for often he falls into the fire and often into the water. This father comes to him, he's like, look, I want you to to understand that there's real physical suffering that is taking place, and it's because of spiritual realities. Fourthly, in our own strength, we are helpless against the supernatural powers of the demonic. And this is so important. This is why Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 6, 11 through 13. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Did it say, uh, try to be a better person so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil? No, it said, you can't do it. You need to put on the full armor of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Paul would say this, look, be aware. There is an attack against your biblical faith. There's an attack against you and it's warring against you and the things that you're facing right now may not just be physical issues. They may not just be physical arguments. You might actually be caught up in a spiritual warfare where he's trying to steal, kill, and destroy your faith. So put on the whole armor of God because in our own strength, we are helpless against the supernatural powers of the demonic. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 through 13. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Oh, you think you're doing good? watch out. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. Who's the faithful one? Us or God? God. When when we're in a warfare, when we're in a spiritual warfare and there's spiritual realities going on, God is at work for us. He is faithful to us and he will not let us be tempted beyond our ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God is faithful. God is working. God gives the biblical faith that we need. And lastly, former spiritual victories are no guarantee for victories in the future, especially when we operate with faith in ourselves rather than in Christ. Oh, I'm doing a good job. Oh, I've, I've gotten past that. Look at what I'm able to do. You're setting yourself up. Look, this is where the disciples were. They were unable to cast out this demon, and they don't know why. And so now they've got themselves into an argument with the scribes. Because back in Mark chapter 6, 7 through 13, this is what happened. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. So Jesus has given the disciples authority over the unclean spirits, and now they've reached a point where they can't cast out an unclean spirit, and they're having an argument that's going on. Let's keep reading. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, They've been out on this mission field. They've been out doing what God's called them to do. They've been given authority by God, and now they're stuck in a situation where they can't cast out this demon. Is it the fact that they were unaware of the spiritual realities that they were really fighting against? Were they trying to do it in their own faith, in their own abilities? We need to maintain a biblical faith when faithlessness and unbelief creep in. Be aware that there's a demonic warfare out there, but also be aware that there's times of faithlessness and unbelief and doubt. I, I, don't, I don't know, but I would venture to say that every single one of us in here who have walked with the Lord for some period of time have faced moments of doubt. We've had low times and high times in our biblical faith. We've had times where we, we begin to question God. Oh, why, why is this happening? What is going on? Have I not been faithful? Have I not done a good job? Have I not been doing what I thought I was supposed to be doing? And so we begin to wrestle with bouts of faithlessness and unbelief, and they begin to creep in. So we need to maintain our biblical faith. So let's keep reading. Mark chapter 9, verse 22. But if you can do anything, I love that. Hey, Jesus, I know your disciples are failing here, but but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can. All things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, is he dead? What an interesting Thing that happens here, where this father says, "I believe, but help my unbelief." Oh, I believe. I, I've made that. I've made that statement of faith, but I'm struggling to walk and maintain my faith, and I need your help in order to maintain my biblical faith. Church, let me tell you, that is that is the Christian walk. The Christian walk is to make a declaration of faith, but then to come to Him daily and say, "But I'm struggling." And I'm in desperate need of you. I need you to help my unbelief. The power of God in our life isn't dependent upon our measure of faith, it's dependent upon the object and source of our faith. You can see faith, even the size of a mustard seed, right? It's not a matter of the amount of faith, it's the matter of your dependence and the object of your faith. And faith is a gift of God. This is why I've said, and I'll say it again, in Ephesians 2 for by grace you have been saved through faith. What is the gift of God? It's the gift of God. Faith is the gift of God. If it wasn't for the faith that God gave you, you wouldn't be able to to have the faith to maintain you. Hebrews 12, 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. He's the founder. He started the faith. He gave you the faith, and now he's perfecting the faith in you. There are going to be times of doubt, times of struggles, times of unbelief, Times of uncertainty, but he is working in you as you fix your eyes upon him. The good news, I love this, the good news of the gospel is that God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't save ourselves. We can't follow the law perfectly. We could be put like Adam in the most perfect environment and we would still sin. But Christ came that we could have life and have it everlasting. Christ came and he lived the perfect life that we can't live so that, so that we could have life with him. He died the death that we should have died and he rose again, defeating death so that we can live with him forever. He does for us what we are incapable of doing for ourselves. So our faith is not in ourselves; our faith is in him. Not only does God provide salvation, but he also provides the faith needed to believe in him for salvation. What a remarkable gift. Not only am I going to give my son for you, I'm going to give you the faith you need to believe in my son so that it can sustain you. That's biblical faith, even in times of difficulty. Let's keep reading. Maintain a biblical faith in dependence and prayer. This is how the story kind of ends here. Verses 27 through 29. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What an interesting remark is, is Jesus saying, well, you just, you just need to have more faith, guys. No, he's not really saying that. He's saying, he's saying your object of faith was not in me. And the reason is because you weren't in prayer. The thing about prayer is prayer shows us that we're dependent. You see, often overconfident self-sufficiency might be a worldly advantage, but is a severe disadvantage to our spiritual lives. When we begin to think that we're good enough, we begin moving away from fixating our eyes on Christ, and we begin to look at ourselves. How do we know if our spiritual overconfident, if we're spiritually overconfident and self-sufficient? Prayer. What's your prayer life? Prayer is a direct indication of our dependence on Christ. When. When do you pray most? When you're dependent upon God to do something. Am I right? Sometimes we do the routine prayers. We're all, we're all you know, rub-a-dub-dub. Thanks for the grub. Y'all don't say that one? Okay. Well, I guess we're just sinners in my house. So, you know. No, sometimes we do the routine prayers. But when you really are dependent upon God, what happens? You cry out. And you know what's Awful about that is usually that's the last resort. It's when I just can't do it. I've tried everything. I guess I'll pray. When really it's, it just shows us our dependence. If our, li- if our life lacks prayer, it displays a lack of dependence. If we're not going to Him and praying, then we're showing Him that, oh, I think I've got it. I think I'm good. James would talk about prayer, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of wrapping this up. James chapter 5, 13 through 18. If anyone among you is suffering, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing, song, sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years, six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. There's a lot happening here. Okay? We look at this writing for James, and James, is talking, he's talking about the church, he's, talking to, he's writing to them, and he's like, look, if you're suffering because of sin, if you're suffering because you, you're doubting, if you're suffering because you're, you're, you're struggling to maintain a biblical faith, you should pray. If you're cheerful, then sing, sing praise. If any one of you is sick, let them call on the elders of the church. Let them pray. The prayer of faith Save those who are sick. He goes on and says, you should confess your sin to one one to another. This has to do with sickness due to sin. If you're not dependent upon God, it'll be reflected in the way that you pray. And not only that, if your life lacks corporate prayer, it displays a lack of humble dependence upon God's word and his will. It's not that we just pray alone in our closet, we do that. But God has designed the Church in such a way that it is a body, and we we lean into one another and we cry out to God for one another. there's a there's a beautiful picture of corporate prayer that takes place in the life of a believer that shows that we are dependent upon Christ, the head of the church. Now, Elijah prays this prayer and it doesn't rain. And so some of us we could take that and be like, well, I just need to have more faith. i need to be I need to be praying harder. And I need to have faith in that prayer. but but that's not, that's not the point. Elijah was a man like us, a nature like ours, and he prayed Scripture. This is, this is interesting. Deuteronomy 28, 15, and 22 through 24. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all the commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. The Lord will strike you with wasting disease, and with fever, inflammation, and fiery heat, and with drought and with blight, and with mildew. They shall pursue you until you perish, and the heavens over your head shall be bronze, and the earth under you shall be iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder. From heaven, dust shall come down on you until you are destroyed. Now this is, this is God saying, look, you need to obey. Don't live in sin. Otherwise there's going to be There's going to be this that happens. That's exactly what he prays. He prayed a prayer in accordance to the word of God. A prayer of faith is a prayer focused outwardly, not inwardly. It is a prayer of dependence upon God, asking him to accomplish what he has promised in his word. There is power in prayer when it is aligned with the word and the will of God. Sometimes we pray, and we don't pray in accordance to the word of God. Sometimes we pray and we don't pray in accordance to the will of God because we have our will in mind and our wants in mind. But this is what he's saying. If you will pray in accordance to the scripture, if you will pray in accordance to what God has said, it will come about. So let's end with this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Will you pray? I pray that we're at a, we're at a point in our life where we see that we are dependent upon Christ. That we can do nothing apart from him. You know, Life is crazy right now. Church is not normal. Life is not normal. And maybe God is just getting our attention. That we need to be dependent upon him. That we need to fix our eyes on him. It's not about what we can muster up. It's about us focusing on the finished work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. Are you thankful for Christ? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons each week.